0: You're listening to The Staff Room Podcast with Chey and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today.
1: So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation.
0: To episode 74 of the Staff Room Podcast. The title of today's episode is Are We Truly Disruptors? We've had a number of conversations in recent weeks about disruption and how it applies to to the anti-racist framework, to education. And so we thought it was a great conversation for us to deep dive into today. We're not really sure what direction it's going to go into, but we know that it's going to be a great one, whichever way it goes. So welcome. And thank you for joining us. I'm going to start by introducing myself. My name is Pav Wander, and I make up half of the hosting team of the Staff Room Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, who sits next to me. I don't introduce him. He usually introduces himself.
1: Qu'est-ce que tu dis à moi? Huh? Don't press my nerve. You know what? um, Mister Steve. Uh-huh. would I, I don't know if i I don't want to claim that he would love that impression, but I'm going to hope he would love that impression. <laughs> um, and of course that's uh, that's a good one for me mm-hmm. because that's a tough one for anyone to try to reference, but it's one from my youth.
0: Tell me about it.
1: It was a uh, a cassette that my grandfather would play. you know, when the family was over and he wanted to laugh, he played this old. Canadian radio skit, mm-hmm. and it was about uh, a couple, and it was an anglophone and a francophone couple, and it was, co- and I didn't know what it was called, and so as time went on, I asked my brother to track it down because I couldn't remember, I had no idea what the series was called, couldn't find it, couldn't track it down, but he did, mm. and so maybe I'll leave that to a listener to try to figure that. Uh, Anglo-Francophone couple, 1960s radio show out of Canada. And that was, you know, my vague impression of uh, his accent. Don't press my nerve, which was sort of like his tagline.
0: So, I have a question. Now, do I know about this because you've told me a lot about it? Or do I know about this because you've actually had me listen to it?
1: Both. Both, Both. Right? Both, both. I,
0: I, because I know that I, I, I'm like, I think I've heard this before. But I don't wanna say that because it could just be you've talked so much about it that I've that I feel like I've manufactured <laughs> yeah. it in my mind.
1: Yes, I've given you so many anecdotal stories you feel like you've been at the radio broadcast yes. itself.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. So hey, what's your name? Jim Guy. Jim Guy. Jim nice. Guy,
1: the hurricane, or Che, or just a teacher, or just a middle school teacher. Okay. Uh Pav, that's a lot of uh Stuff. just to get started. Yeah. Yes. Let's get into it. Um And let's start with a little anecdote. How did we come to decide this week that this is what we wanted to talk about?
0: Yeah. So the topic is, are we truly disruptors?
1: And in in the social media, the Twitter space, the staff rooms in our building, you know, disruption has been a theme we've been talking about, but it's not... And it's probably resonated in a few of our episodes, but it's never been a specific topic. Mm -hmm. And recently, we know we did our last um, episode on our mass queue. And of course... Some things are linear, some things are random, but some things you can tie back. And Mass Q had the following morning a clubhouse recap, mm-hmm. and so we joined that clubhouse, and it was the first time we'd been in the clubhouse. And we decided we would go on the next morning. So the next morning, many of the same members of that Mass Q Clubhouse were running another clubhouse on equity. Uh, Chris and Bonnie uh, were running it, and so they were talking about equity and inclusion. So we stopped in to to take a listen, mm-hmm. and then the conversation was getting to a wrap up, and people were welcoming everyone in that clubhouse space. And uh, you're gonna have to give me the last name, but uh, Jeffrey, who we didn't, we don't really know, we only came across him in this space, started to talk about uh he didn't use the word disruption uh they were they didn't mm-hmm. use the word disruption yeah. they were using other little events to taking a risk to pushing the envelope challenging the system they never used the word disruption and uh he gave a, a really poignant uh talking point and so i followed up and i just said i love the vocabulary you guys are using it reminds me of disruption and and trying to appreciate and understanding that disruption is a pedagogy it's not just a word we use to to say we're a disruptor let's know what the pedagogy is <clears throat> and he then came on and followed up and he gave his analogy of what disruption was and it was an appreciation with with the dialogue and the conversation he started to talk about you know what what is disruption? What would qualify as disruption? And he gave the idea of, you know what, taking part in a vote is a form of disruption. And it was a really interesting point. I don't know if I totally agree, but I love the fact that we were having a, a conversation yes. now amongst educators on what does disruption really mean, what does it really look like, and we said, we need to do an episode on sort of our current understanding of disruption, not meaning that this won't change in three days or four days, or that this is the definitive answer of what disruption is, but for two teachers teaching in North Toronto, what does disruption mean, look like, and how do we commit to it, and are we really committing to it, or are we just committing to the professional? formative nature of being able to say we're a disruptor but not really disrupting
0: so there's there's a lot of uh performativeness in in this nature of disruption and and you brought up so many great points there and it was i believe jeffrey harris there were a number of other people Mm. in this uh, in this conversation in clubhouse which is it's a new platform, and and we're sort of diving into it, and we we love to just go in and listen and just take part in several conversations. And this was one of those situations where we just kind of went in and started listening, and and there was this concept of of challenging the system, as you mentioned, and it came up, and and we were sort of listening along, and and you spoke up about disruption, and you used the word disruption or disruptors uh, a few times in the conversation, and not to say that was a there was a challenge on that after you spoke, but there was a little bit of conversation about disruption being, um, a little bit more, a little stronger than challenging than simply challenging, right? It's, 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 uh, disrupting is to break something apart. It's to take down something it's to, it's to take the system and to break it up into small parts. And sometimes, uh, sometimes that can be, um, a little bit more charged A little bit more violent, you know, not not uh, not in terms of actual violence, but it's not it's not peaceful, and so that that had me thinking. That had me thinking maybe we're using the word disruption a little too lightly for the work that we're doing. But but then in that reflection, I was also thinking, I don't I don't know maybe maybe we're not, maybe the disruption that we are engaged in because of the, the ethnically diverse community that we live in, maybe what we see on a day-to-day basis is a little bit more, the, the actions that we take in our day-to-day lives are a little bit more disruptive than possibly uh, other neighborhoods or other areas of, of the province of the country of North America. So it really had us thinking about what does disruption actually mean? What does that word mean? And what does disruption look like in the classroom, in the in the education world? Um, and And as we were doing research for this, as we were sort of doing our own looking up um, some information on what what is disruption, What does it look like? What does it feel like? Um, we came up with so many different, ways of looking at disruption. Now, being a disruptor within education, um, as, as I quickly learned, has many different meanings. Um, and and it's not quite what I was thinking disruption was. Yes. When yeah. we started
1: to look up disruption, we, we thought the anti-racist framework yes. platform would be in abundance, but it really fo- fixated no. on technology. technology. It's yeah. Disrupting through technology and Artificial intelligence was one that came up. Gamification came up a lot, and And it was voice typing, Mm -hmm. things like
0: that. And I was just, I was reading these these different uh, scenarios of disruption within technology, and I'm thinking, okay, so there there's a basic definition here that can apply to the anti-racist framework that Che and I are thinking about. But but this is obviously disruption on a completely different level. This is not quite what we were thinking about.
1: But I think we'll find that the what we would consider disruption in the anti-racist Um, when we're thinking of that, also will apply to Mm -hmm. those fields. If you're really trying to revolutionize technology, you need to disrupt it. You need to be willing to just say what we have doesn't work and I'm not going to wait for the system to change it. So I'm going to hope that some of it comes back. Even Ken Robinson's name appeared for me when I was thinking about innovators and disruptors, which is a name that I'm a big fan. I know you're a big fan of. Uh, I'm a, a big fan of. And I didn't really anticipate that name coming up, but it was disruption of the curriculum. It was, it was disruption of how we set up our schools. The, even the idea of we place our schools, we, we basically compartmentalize children based on age is first and foremost. Right. Yeah. So that's like the distinguishing factor. And he said, we, you disrupt that. Like, Why are we using the age as the way to organize our, our children and organize our building? Yeah. Uh, there are other factors. You could passions. Uh, skill sets, desires, motivation. There's all kinds of other factors you may put uh, at a higher level. So those are things that I wasn't thinking about when we were thinking we wanted to go into this conversation. But there are things that came up as we were talking.
0: There there was actually, as I was doing this research, there was, as you you mentioned, the underlying themes are sort of the same. Whether you're talking about disruption within these uh, pedagogical systems or we're talking about the anti-racist framework, or we're talking about technology, I found a really great way to describe, uh, disruption within education. So I'd like to read that. And I quote a bottom-up cause that substantially affects the ecology. It is a part of forcing reconfiguration of that system and recreation and redistribution of currencies within that system, end quote, by Terry Hike.
1: That's good on two fronts. Okay. Because one, you you stole my quote, end quote. <laughs> but I do, I, I will add on, I do change the tone of my...
0: I'm still practicing. But
1: it was good. But that's a great quote. What, what, what did you take from that? What was, what was resonating for you?
0: So, yeah. So there were a couple of things. And so the first thing that I took from that was the... um. The ecology, okay, so it substantially affects the ecology that it is a part of. And so I'm thinking about the environment. So when we're thinking about uh, disruption, we're thinking about changing something in the environment, we're changing some aspect of the ecology. And I like the way that they use the ecology, right? Because everything affects. each other within that ecology, within that ecosystem. And so, um, when you're disrupting something, you're disrupting that, that circle of life or that cycle that exists within the ecosystem. So, and then the other thing was the, um, the recreation and redistribution of currencies within that system. And when I think of currencies that could apply to whatever resources that we have available to us within the system. So, when I'm thinking about disruption and I'm thinking about the anti-racist framework, first and foremost, I'm thinking about equity. Um, I'm thinking about, um, taking that, taking that ecosystem, however it may currently exist, flipping it on its head or breaking it apart, um, and taking the resources that we have given to us and reallocating them to where they are more needed. So when I'm thinking about dis, um, when I'm thinking about disruption, that's what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about an implosion within the system, and then taking every little part of that implosion and and applying it to where it's needed the most. So that's what I envision, and I like this. I like this description, this definition of disruption within education, because it can apply to many different frameworks. And so um, that's, that's what I took from it. And, and I felt like it sort of encapsulated how I felt, what disruption meant to me. I liked it.
1: No, it's good. Um, you've got me thinking in a bunch of different spaces. Mm-hmm. I, I want to come back to, I don't necessarily want to come back I think before I move forward, I want to sort of articulate what I understand disruption to be. This is my understanding of taking little bits of information from here and there and reading and experiences and trying to put it into something that I can work with. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it is etched or branded. It is fluid. But this is where I am at the moment. And so when I think of disruption, I would articulate it's a pedagogy, it's a commitment to disruption, but I'm not disrupting merely so I can say I'm a disruptor. It's for a greater cause, it's for a greater reason. I don't want to label myself a disruptor. Disruption is an action that I see as necessary because inherently the system will always support the majority and any change is long time to come forth I gave an example actually um, it was uh, Melissa Wilson and Desmond Cole shared a, a Twitter back back and forth and they commented that you know what students could be suspended instantaneously mm-hmm. but and they were talking about teachers but teachers can take forever to be suspended or removed. Right. And the system is going to work in place and protect the majority over and over again. And that's not the only example. It was something that resonated um, because ultimately to be a disruptor is a, is an understanding that the system will move at an archaic pace and too slow a pace to be willing to stand for. And because you understand that the system, regardless of intentions, will not work Quickly enough to serve the needs of the people in the, in the in your immediacy, then you disrupt and you challenge the system because the system is not going to work for you here and now, and that is the my my authorization to disrupt because I inherently know that if I rely on the system an email, uh, the bureaucratic paperwork, it's not going to serve the students in front of me that need to be served, that I need to advocate for or allyship for, or even better be an accomplice for in this disruption. And it's so for me, that disruption is the understanding the system is not going to work quickly enough for the people that i am serving mm-hmm. and thus i disrupt it i challenge it i blow it up in my immediacy because i think this was from when we went to see uh not we didn't go to see just paul gorski we went to uh four big reasons no
0: four big questions four big
1: questions and i remember paul gorski uh in one of those reference and every one of those members gave uh it was pamela uh kiki and, and debbie and donsky debbie yep and they all gave a fa- fabulous uh, access points to disruption. But Paul Gorski gave that idea is that you challenge the system in immediacy because it's not going to change for you. It's not going to change in right. time. That's right. I can even think of a really silly one. I'll put it into a sports yes. analogy is that it... I remember way back when that there was an infraction in in the hockey game. There was a man in the crease, and the NHL forced it to change the rule within the moment. They didn't wait for the system, the bureaucracy. Mm. They saw something. This is wrong. This is what Paul Gore said. When you see something is wrong, then if it is wrong, you don't need to wait for the system to make it right. You push it, and you make it go right. Right. And so for me... That's my running idea of what disruption is. I am disrupting, not so I can say, I'm a disruptor. No, because I can't service the people who I have a moral obligation to serve in the immediacy. And so am I doing everything to make sure they are getting everything they can legitimately or illegitimately, I—I I don't even know if I said that right. But I need to make sure that I am willing to disrupt the system if they are not getting what is deserved to honor them. And so my disruption has purpose because I would say I need to disrupt because I know the system's not going to do it for me, and for my students.
0: Yeah, I, and you made some very strong comments there, and you—and—and and I think that you—you—you you, um, you tend to hold your position very well, and you can back that up. I'm thinking about now into our, sort of our part two of this conversation or sort of where this conversation has led us to in the past. I agree with you a hundred percent where, where you see some sort of, um, inaccuracy or something that needs to be disrupted is it, it, it is on you to then, take yourself, embed yourself in that situation and disrupt that situation so that you can make it right. Because if you don't, the system will just allow itself to keep going in that cycle. It
1: will protect itself. It will
0: protect itself. And and we've had this conversation several times, especially in the last couple of weeks, where we have found that And and I think that this was maybe within the last couple of days that we came to this conclusion, the higher up you go within the hierarchy of the system, the more the system allows for you to abuse it. Mm. And so I think that that's a very strong position to take. However, when you are, let's say, for example, you are one of the oppressed, you are someone that that doesn't have a high position within that hierarchy. And therefore you don't have the majority voice or you don't have the powerful voice. Um, you, your voice can be really, really suppressed. And so, uh, what I'm thinking of is my voice versus your voice. I'm, I'm thinking that there are some voices that are different, definitely louder than others. And so whose voice needs to do the disrupting? Whose voice is going to be loudest with that disruption? So I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking that if if I am to speak about something that I feel is unjust, my voice may not be heard as loud as maybe your voice. And so um, that's on two different levels as a person of color and as a woman. So I'm I'm thinking that maybe there are certain groups of people that whose disruption speaks louder. And, and I don't know if that's even a valid point. I don't know if that's... I, got, I
1: have to cut you off.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Do and,
1: it. And not because I'm necessarily a white male, but I guess maybe there's a part of that too. But you are not the first person that I've had this conversation with mm-hmm. that has opened my eyes to, I can't believe what you said. And I didn't think what I said was that aggressive or that... Right. But they could say, I couldn't speak like that. I wouldn't feel comfortable to speak like that. And although I'm speaking like that, maybe I'm a little nervous there's been a real eye-opening for me with the the people I've worked with for 10 or 15 years, this underlying current that, you know, Che can do that. Che can say that. Mm-hmm. I, I and and some people are thankful I've said it, but they've also articulated that I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that. I knew I would my my story would be erased. So when you're telling that and mm-hmm. you're thinking, well, I'm not sure, I would say no. I've had a few people say that, which is actually one of the reasons I'm really aware that I'm very dominant in the space, even when I right. don't speak and I try to to negotiate. Uh, how I engage in a lot of those sort of staff meetings when the cr- conversations are tough because I know that I can step in and, and, and talk, and 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 I've realized because of comments like you're just made and comments other people have made that I've got a little bit of a privileged position in there and a little bit of a, a like a blank check to mm-hmm. speak. And yeah. now 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 does that mean it becomes more my responsibility? to speak? Or is it my responsibility to make sure that I'm not speaking? Like it's, that's something I'm starting to grapple with, because so many of my peers have been so good to tell me and share that vulnerability to share those insights, which yeah. comes with a really close staff that have worked together for years and years. Yeah.
0: And, and it requires that kind of relationship to be able to develop these kinds of uh, conclusions and these kinds of thoughts. Um, I'm I'm thinking about uh what you just said here now is it my responsibility to step back or not speak up or whatever or i don't mean whatever i mean you know what i'm thinking now is it it might be more of your responsibility to raise the voices of those people who who need their voices to be heard so knowing when to to not speak but and hand over the microphone to the person who you think should be doing the speaking. So I know that this person has lots of valid things to say about this. Um, because I know that for myself being in that situation, sitting in a group of, of people where there's one dominant voice, but I've said the same thing, but it wasn't heard when I said it, but it was heard when somebody else said it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's, that's trauma. I'm going to go ahead and say that when you, when you experience that over and over and over and over again, you stop speaking because you know that your voice is just not going to be heard. There's always going to be a more dominant voice in the room than yours. So you stop speaking and that's traumatic. That's traumatic for a group of people. And so I think that, that over time, this isn't something that happens in one meeting or two meetings or even over a couple of years this is this is happening in many different scenarios in many different discussions over and over and over again and you feel like what's the point of speaking because nothing i say is going to matter and so that's where that's where disruption really needs to happen that's where as an educator I need to now say, I, I understand the trauma that you're feeling right now. I understand this because I've gone through this myself. So I'm going to allow, I'm going to create a space where it's okay for you to speak. And that that is disruption because that is a system that's being upheld time and time and time again. And we have to break that apart to to allow for that amplification of other people's voices to make those same statements that the dominant groups have been saying for years and years and years at a time.
1: The disruption doesn't have to be the loud voice. That's no. the disruption doesn't mean I just stand out and, and make noise. Right. There's more to disruption. Those are those are great points. I think of my own journey, and I've probably always been a dominant voice, and I've worked to sort of I, I've worked to try to figure out what my role is, how I can be most effective to serve my students, my staff. And one thing I've been much more mindful of the last few years is that idea of saviorism, Mm -hmm. where I would think probably three or four years ago, I was still proactive. I still wanted to make a difference, but I I somehow always, or maybe I wanted to be in the spotlight of that. And certainly now I've grown a lot more, done a lot more reading, and also the maturity of teaching now, uh, 20 years, a little bit just that doesn't become... I don't even know it was a factor, but I think now that I'm really aware of how I can appear that way, that I'm—that's something that I grapple with. Like I want to do right, I want to do good, I want to be a disruptor, but I don't want to be centered on me. Right. I don't want to—I don't want to come across as a savior. I don't want everyone to think, "Oh, there's Che again in the meeting." There, there's. We'll, we'll, or we'll just wait for Che. I mean, even on a a micro side, when we were doing group works, every group is sort of either I said, oh, I'll present for the group, or people said, we'll just let Che present. Che, you'll do this. And like I said, yes, I will. Yeah. And so saviorism is something that's really been in. T- I've really tried to be in tune with because I want to be a real, genuine disruptor, but I don't want to be centered in the disruption. I want to make sure it's serving people. And so that's my own personal growth. And so, When you're talking about that, like we're coming at the same issue, the same, yeah, I the same, the same
0: conclusion, si- the same idea, yeah, just
1: from different vantage points. Yeah, well, they should be different vantage points,
0: right? Yeah, and I think that that's the point. Like we we both have different perspectives. We have different upbringings. We have different Um, different things that we've gone through in our lives to shape and form the people that we have become, the type of educators that we have become. And uh, I think that over the past year and a half, we have both in different ways and in some same ways come to the same growth pattern that have allowed for us to have this discourse openly and honestly and vulnerably and authentically. And I think that that's a really great thing. You you were gonna say something. I'm about
1: to jump in on a topic we'll talk about. Not too vulnerable, not too authentic, because uh, I start to think of you know woke capitalism, and when do these attributes just get used and no longer serve uh, a purpose? But that that's a conversation for another time. I think so. Um, I I got two spots I'd love to talk on yeah. because I feel this this leads to what risk is. Yes. But I, I also wanted to come back to, we talked about what is disruption? And you gave this idea that disruption doesn't have to be necessarily one person standing up and taking the stand. Maybe it's making sure everyone is able to share their voice, mm-hmm. making sure it's, we're limiting people's uh, continued trauma of not being, having their voice heard. I think of my classroom, I think of student voice. Yeah, Student voice is disruption, but it's not disruption when the student voice. I, th- I see too much chatter out. we think we've done the work when we've given student voice. Well, one, we didn't give the student voice. It was already there. Yes. Uh, as a white male teacher in a racialized community, I realize that I'm probably the biggest inhibitor of that voice, not the biggest amplifier of that voice, because mm-hmm. if I center myself and center my stories too often, mm-hmm. or, or at all... Mm-hmm. Um
0: and I also want to point out that your voice um uh, that the the community that we teach in is very complacent and allows for your voice to be more down, dominant as well. So that's a system that we need to be breaking apart too because we 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 teach in a very um highly uh there's a lot of immigrant families in the neighborhood and and the white male is is in many communities still seen to be the dominant um group. And so a lot of that a lot of that um that leadership and a lot of that dominance is, is handed to you. And And you're allowed to have that voice. They will give you that voice because that's what they expect. And that's the colonial nature of our education system. Um, so that's something that that you inherently from the inside out will will have to break up over time as
1: well. I've always, not always. I've come to be aware of that yeah. of, of how much sort of grace or power is given to me in I don't empower. I feel like it's the wrong word, but may, maybe it's not the wrong word. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. of in my 20 years, how many times have I been challenged by the community?
0: Probably very little. And
1: probably not enough.
0: Right. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and I'm only saying that because my parents never challenged my teachers. Never. And the majority of my teachers were white. And so I, I think mm. about that when, when I grew up in the same neighborhood where we currently teach, and what I went through, and I know that there are still many families that go through the same, that experience the same thing.
1: That's a great point. I'm just yeah. thinking on it now, and I'm reflecting back on 20 years within a few seconds. It's just uh, lots, as much as we have these guides where we want to go <laughs> with the conversation, this, was, this wasn't this was there. Uh, but this is important because right. it's part of that. These are things to disrupt. These are things we don't even think need disrupting. Um Can I come back to the student voice section just for a moment? Of course you
0: can. Yeah, let's go ahead. We're talking
1: about student voice and how is this a means of disruption? It's a means of disruption when we are ready to handle what a student says that doesn't maintain the system. Mm -hmm. So many people talk about, oh, student voice, student voice. Are you ready to handle? Are you committed to student voice when it says something that you're not ready for? And I will attest in my learning, this has been great learning for me because maybe Maybe our families don't keep me in check mm-hmm. because of these these cultural assumptions and and this these great things you brought, this that sort of assertion that the white male in this school, and of course in our school, there's not many male teachers. Right. Yes. And there's certainly not many white male teachers. So even in, in that dynamic, uh and of course we're not at the same school anymore, but in the last five or six years where we were at the same school. And I don't know at, at your new school, there's more males in that.
0: There are more males.
1: Than at my school. Um,
0: and, and there are actually not as many white teachers either, if I can say that. Yes. Mm. And so it, it is a little bit more diverse and reflective of the community. And uh, and I think, um, I don't know if that was purposeful or if that just happened to be that way. But it's uh, I think that it, it's been an important reflection within this community. Hmm. So I don't know. Continue no, what it, you were these saying. These are just thoughts. These are just yeah. thinking.
1: And I was thinking of student voice because I was coming back to you know what put me in the greatest check is our students aren't necessarily as oh it's 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 Mr. Cheney. I'll just concede that he's right. I've yeah. learned a great deal from uh, activating student voice or making sure that voices are heard and I'm not um, erasing them and blocking them out. Mm-hmm. But they they'll push me. They'll challenge yeah. me. Yes. They'll go out for lunch and have an issue at the mall and bring it back. And and I've got to learn how do I support, how do I deal. This is not right. something I've ever can relate to. Something as trivial as that uh, in certain communities, they don't have those issues. Other other racialized communities, yeah, this is an issue, just having lunch, going to the mall. What happens at the mall based on, on how you look? Um, and so that student voice was a gateway to my learning because I needed to make sure that it's not about, oh, student voice, and I hope they say what I believe, and it just perpetuates the system. Actually, the greatest learning is when my students take me in a direction that I'm not ready for. Mm-hmm. When my students take me in a direction that indicates, whoa, I, I need to act, I need to disrupt, I need to change this, this space, whether it's my classroom or the school, for their benefit, to serve them. And so student voice, ever, lots of people talk about student voice a lot, but do many people talk about what they're willing to do when that student voice doesn't just validate the narrative they've already got contrived beforehand? And are we just looking for student voice to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, they think just the way I think? No, 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 no. The student voice is a great access to disruption because now you know what's on your mind of your students. You know what they need. And when they, what they need isn't what the system's providing. What are you going to do next? Sometimes I've done it, and you know what? Sometimes I look back and said, "Man, I didn't do it."
0: Yeah, and and do you have to do it all the time? This is this is it's challenging, it's tiresome work. This is, it is exhausting because it is endless, and so disruption shouldn't be taken lightly. And so maybe it is a heavy word. Maybe sometimes we do use it too lightly because. It is a lot of work to be a disruptor. It is heavy work to be a disruptor, and it is something that is constant and something that we should always be thinking about. And so, is it is it something? Is it a word that we possibly do use a little too lightly, where we should be using the word challenging the system, or you know, um, in the ways that we are using it? Maybe maybe disrupting the system does take a lot more than what we are offering it.
1: I think on my teaching spectrum, mm-hmm. I've always been good on practical wisdom, which is the idea yeah. you you bend the rules because you know they don't serve a purpose. But inherently, you're still not challenging or yeah. disrupting the system. You're working within, within the, the system. system. Yes. In fact, uh, I p- believe it was a Melissa Wilson again, I picked up uh, a nugget from, and she was talking About the system, and she was talking about the word inclusion. That inclusion tends to be a really, you know, buzzword that we drop all the time. But she referenced inclusion still implies the system's going to work. It's not a disruptive word. It's not a word of disruption. It's a word that I can make the system work. Yeah. It's it's a it's a word. uh, It's a byproduct of the system. Yeah. Um, which was something that you know challenged my thinking, brought me into a different space, and this brings me to the word risk. Yes. Because you know what? Disruption brings risk. Real risk. This yes. is, we, we, we drop the word risk all the time. This is a real risk. Commitment to disruption is knowing you in your teaching space. And we talk about teaching because we're teachers, but I, I will assume the same thing in your administrator space, your trustee space, um, your director space. If you are willing to disrupt, then you inherently are taking a risk at your position, at your promotion, at your ability to maintain your position, your grade assignment, stay within your school. This is a risk. And we talked about this last time. I know for me, as much as I want to be a disruptor, I've got a little bit of sort of money in the bank, so to speak. I, I, I can take a few more risks. I've been in the community 20 years. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty good reputation in the community. Mm-hmm. I can maybe be more of a disruptor, which then becomes, make sure I don't become a hypocrite, telling people to disrupt when they don't have the, the, the safety nets that I do have in place. Yes. And not every teacher's in the same space in their teaching career. They're building the the job security within their districts and boards. So disruption is an understanding you're taking a risk and not these performative risks that we hear almost all the time where inherently we're truly risking nothing but are very comfortable to say, take a risk. It's a risk when you're chance of losing something. And disruption, there is a chance of losing something, even if it's respect. And respect is the wrong word. Uh, the... The the the, oh, what was I? I was on the tip of my tongue. Is when you lose, like the respect is not the right word. But when the people around you start to question you and don't value your, your word, your and credibility. Yes, yeah, sorry, that is a better word for me. You you risk that on yeah. the people around you, even if it's totally illeg, illegitimate. It's still a risk.
0: Yeah, and, and you're right about that, and and I'm. I'm thinking so much about what you're saying right now, and uh, and I remember having this conversation. Um, actually, no, I was listening to a conversation between Stephen Hurley and Doug Peterson about um, about the anti-racist framework and and having disruptive conversations and uh, doing and and taking part in this in this disruptive act action within our classrooms, and how it could potentially be dangerous for new teachers when new teachers there's there's nothing in pre-service education pre-service programs where where new teachers learn about how to approach these conversations within their classrooms. There's there's nothing and so it's it's sometimes it's very risky because you're your these new teachers are are perhaps gaining all of this knowledge and information from social media. Yes, we need to be disruptors. Yes, we need to be doing all of these things in our spaces um to dismantle the system. However, they're they're not necessarily being taught in their in their education programs to to have these conversations appropriately so we're, we're sort of sending these new teachers into the wolves and 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 sending them in saying you know you need to do all of these things but there is as you say there is risk involved and so the more evolved you become as a teacher the more uh the more experience you have under your belt the more you learn about how the system works these are important factors for you to know before before you start disrupting within the system i think that that we you have to actually know the system before you can challenge the system and i think that that's a concept that we sometimes forget
1: it reminds me that that story reminds me of actually a quote from platoon okay where it was like oh you're a a moralistic crusader you must be rich to think like that yeah and rich doesn't necessarily mean purely in monetary wealth I, I I consider myself rich in regards to experience embedded in the community. It allows me to push more, and it also allows me to know when to push more, yes. and it also tells me when I when I didn't push, and I should have pushed. Like if I add a couple, I think it's almost time for some some anecdotes. Yeah,
0: uh, it, it has been forty. Do I do want to? point out that we've been speaking for 40 minutes.
1: This is going to be a quick episode. Remember, 20 minutes.
0: 20-minute 20 episode. That's
1: right, folks. So, so what so, are you saying? A, a break time and maybe come back with some anecdotes? Yeah. A little bit of a swag bag?
0: I think that that's a good idea. Let's let's take a commercial break. I know that our sponsors have paid us, paid us very well for this one. Uh, so let's take a little break and then we'll come back with a couple of stories and then we'll come back with our swag bag to wrap it up.
1: And this episode is brought to you by Volleyballs. Every great volleyball team needs them. (laughs) You know, I do remember the time that uh, I ran volleyball practice without volleyballs.
0: Oh, really? How did that go?
1: Actually, no. No. Oh no, I don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for a little oh, story there. <laughs>
1: you know, maybe in my younger days, I, I, I might have taken that power struggle and run a basketball practice. Oh, we ain't gonna touch no basketball today. We gonna run and get you sheep. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that was just me watching Hoosiers. <laughs> um, this conversation has been rich,
0: very rich, yes, indeed, and um, passionate too.
1: And not necessarily. We have not ascended to any mountaintop to be able to tell you what disruption is. No. Uh, We haven't written any scholarly works that mean that we're in a place to tell you what disruption is. We're just two middle school teachers in Toronto sharing our experiences and sort of sharing our our accumulated learning and and, and some accelerated learning in the last couple of years. Um, And maybe a few nuggets have resonated and maybe we've been off base Maybe you you have done some more poignant work, have some other examples. Please share. Help us learn in this process because this podcasting is really us reflecting to learn to be better. And this is where we are right here, right now when we record. But this can shift, twirl, dare I say, even pivot in a moment if I see, if we see, if we interact with something that propels our learning.
0: There's there's so much value in hearing different perspectives from different parts of the world, from different parts of the city, from different parts of the country, and so uh, I think that it informs all of our thought, uh, all of our diverse thought, and uh, and so I I know that I've gained a lot by hearing from different perspectives in this uh, during this journey of ours, and so. I hope that some of our perspectives and some of our experiences offer the same for others as well.
1: We've shared this in other uh, episodes. We, I, you are teaching in, in the community you're born and raised. Mm-hmm. I'm the white male that just arrived here.
0: Not just. It's it, been 20, a while. 20
1: years ago, with no idea yeah. of the vastness, and this is a, an exceptionally uh, diverse. It's a racialized community all the way through. And mm-hmm. so when I talk about student voice, I'm going to get the pushback that they're going to guide me. But what if you're in a community where those racialized voices aren't all the voices in your room, in your space? I don't know what that disruption looks like Yeah, in, say, an all-white classroom with a white teacher. I, I don't—I'm I, not saying that— i not saying yes or no or right or wrong, but I don't know how this would look in that space. I don't have that experience. Absolutely. And so sometimes we take for granted that we can really see the impacts of disruption right away. We can really see, because we see the the people, we see everyone who's so marginalized Mm -hmm. all the time on a daily basis. Like I gave that simple example, students going over to the mall for lunch can lead to chaos and anarchy and, and students that know they've been, done wrong just by what happened at the mall and i and i assume not every community has that experience Mm -hmm. so um it sort of adds to our our stories and our perspectives yeah um we talked about disruption we haven't talked a lot about some specifics you know because i think we started with the idea that disruption doesn't have to be yelling and screaming in a staff meeting Um, we talked about student voice and when we activate student voice we need to be prepared to Act upon, advocate, allyship, accomplice to those voices, especially when they say things that we're not prepared for, that we haven't subscribed to, or that we're hoping they're just going to validate our opinions already.
0: Right. Yeah, indeed.
1: Uh, uh, So I I thought of a few other ones is um, dismantling the curriculum being uh, courageous enough or disruptive enough to say this curriculum is really it's it's not the right curriculum there's too many stories not being told too many things not being honored i'm going to shift from this i'm going to do something a little different there's disruption disruption and choosing what curriculum you're going to steer away from the curriculum you're dismantle the curriculum you're going to say whoa let's question the curriculum that's a form of disruption And,
0: and and i want to just throw in there that it's not it's not enough for us to say as the teachers in the classroom or even as a collection of teachers within our space to say that the that we recognize that the curriculum is not representative of the students that are in our spaces but it's it's something that we need to help our students be able to see or, or allow for them to see themselves and to come to that conclusion on their own. So I think that that's a very important part of the disruption as well. So as teachers, I think that... That most of us at this point sort of realize that that the curriculum may not be representative of, of the students that we have in our spaces, but it's something different when our students are able to see that because of the teaching that we are doing in our spaces. And, and that is disruption. It's, it's minute. It's, it's, it's subtle disruption, but it's still disruption when our students come to that conclusion on their own by saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm not being represented in this textbook. Why is that? I think those are, those are some pretty big big uh, accomplishments when we see them, some some pretty bold statements from our students. and
1: then our role becomes to amplify that's that. That's
0: right. Exactly to take now say, okay, yes, now what? And now what?
1: And, and how am I going to support and how right. am I going to validate and how am I going to affirm and how am I going to take this into you know civic action in, exactly. in, in the school? That, that's a great point. Uh, even make an, an extension, just making sure we're honoring all stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories that may make people cringe or they may not be comfortable addressing. Honor all those stories is another great way of disruption. I even put one here on assessment, going gradeless, finding multiple ways to assess. Yes. Yeah, That's disruption. Don't don't tell me I need a test. I can disrupt that. I don't That's need right. your test. I'm out. Now, again, these come with risks, real risks. Um, and we don't want to trivialize that these actions are, are you can do for free. They, they're, they, they, it is a commitment to disruption.
0: And it, and it's, and it's also not enough to just say that that's what you want to do, because that's what you've heard is the best way to go. You need to be pretty strong in that position, meaning you need to be doing your research. You need to be doing your learning on, on the other end. So if it's something that you strongly believe in, do the reading, do the research.
1: Because yeah. you're going to get pushed.
0: You're going to get pushed. And so you need to have a pretty strong stance on that. And so disruption, and, and I was actually going to say this early on when, with one of our earlier points, but then uh, I got distracted and I forgot that point or it wasn't relevant anymore. But but I'll bring it back now that when we are being disruptors, you have to be very solid and strong with your point and and your position has to be strong because because without that you don't really have a strong foundation to stand on so do the research and make sure you know what you are saying so that you can back it up with evidence it's very important
1: yes yes like you have to know your stuff cuz you're going to get pushed and and just being sort of again I use that word the savior or putting yourself on a mantle or just being loud not enough it's yeah. got to be backed that's right um Now, do you have any examples? Do you have any anecdotes?
0: Um, I'm going to say right now I do not, only because I I know that some of the examples that you have a little bit more poignant... Um, I must also provide the disclaimer that I've always consistently taught students that are that are younger than yours. And I think that some of the the examples that we've seen in the past tend to come from students that are a little bit older, a little bit more mature. And mm-hmm. so when when I compare my stories to the stories that you have uh, given me, I feel like I want to say no, I don't have an anecdote to share, but perhaps, after I hear yours or after we listen to yours, I may have something that I want to share.
1: I think you should share it. And now as you're telling me that, I'm thinking back to our conversation 20 minutes ago.
0: (laughs) I am. I know, I know, but...
1: And that's good. That's yes. good. Good for me to be saying. Wait a second. Like now, don't defer to me. Okay.
0: So sure. Let me let me take the lead then.
1: I love this. Okay.
0: <laughs> so I'm thinking about a conversation that I had very recently with a student in my class, and we were talking about anti black racism. And this was um, this was early on in the school year. We were talking about where. Where have you, we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement in our classroom and we were talking about social justice and where have you seen injustices in your own life? And I had a student who said to me that after George Floyd was murdered, my brother couldn't walk into the same convenience store that he always used to go to anymore. Because every time he did, somebody would think that he was stealing something. Somebody would think that he was, he was, um, he shouldn't have been there or he was always getting, uh, attention on him. Anytime that somebody, if there was ever something that was happening in the store that was wrong, my brother was always looked at. And so he just felt very unsafe. And so my student shared with me that she felt like this was unfair and and it was the first time in her schooling, and she's she's in grade six. This is the first time in her schooling where she felt that she could openly share that conversation and that thought and that feeling. And that's that's a very small thing. That's I feel like that like at in the moment I felt like it was a very small thing. Nothing
1: small there.
0: No, but then as I reflected on it and I thought about it, for you to for the first this is the first time that you've been able to share that openly and not feel like you were being judged by your teacher or by the people that were around you perhaps that's a much bigger thing than than Uh, then maybe you're giving credit for, I think that that's, that's a very big thing. So, um, that's, that's my little story of disruption. It's, it's, it still sometimes feels like a small thing, like, okay, you know, there's much bigger stories of disruption than that, but for that student to feel like she could share that openly and honestly, and not feel like she was going to be discriminated against for sharing that or having somebody say, well, you know, maybe your brother was doing something wrong. Like that's a pretty big thing. And I think that there was a barrier of trust that was that was approached there and uh, and she felt like she was she was okay and open to be able to share that in a safe space. And I think that that was a, a little moment of disruption, and I felt good about that.
1: I'd probably argue those little moments are the in the bigger picture, the sustainable picture, the long term picture, the more important moments because sometimes when we have those big aha moments they can sort of think well like you were there thinking my, my moment doesn't match up what do you mean doesn't match up that that that's it that that's the work right there your kids are opening up telling stories reveal, revealing honoring those stories it's that's powerful right there um it actually makes me not want to share my my story i got two stories cuz I, I i wanted to share success but I also wanted to share my own personal failure where in hindsight I said, I didn't do enough that that, you not enough. Yeah. Um, Those are
0: valid, valid conversations. I'm going to share the
1: the first one. Sorry, Pat, to cut you off there Mm -hmm. briefly is, and this wasn't, I I share this story, but this was a collective effort of our middle school. And you know, you were part of that middle school and you're right. Our students are a little bit older. So I I assume they're, they're dealing with things that are sort of age related and identity uh, was one. And so, this particular student was struggling with identity. And maybe they didn't identify early that that's what they were struggling with. So there was a lot of resources, uh, a, a lot of time, a lot of energy, all all done for, for all the right reasons to try to just support and be there. And then as the year sort of unwound, this student just felt that now was the time to, to self-identify. And I won't give out too much details because I want to honor... Um, their privacy, because I haven't talked to them about this, so it's not for me to tell their story. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, people will sort of fill in between the lines to get the the meaning. But I, it's not my place to share their story. Um, and they, so as the year went on, we sort of decided, and it was the the two of us per se, but it was lots of teachers have been a part of it. But I was in charge of graduation, and so the student wanted graduation when they came on stage to be the moment where they identified as how they wanted to be identified with right? in regards to uh, gender and name. Yeah. And so I guess I should have, or maybe I should have, I don't know. Either way, I checked with nobody. Mm-hmm. I, I did it. Uh, I did it, or they, they did it, or he did it. Mm-hmm. And it was a powerful moment. And so we sort of, together in that moment, on stage, graduation, this is my moment. This is my favorite moment. My favorite moment is right now because this is this is what I've always wanted to do. This is what I've needed. This is where I feel most alive. And it felt amazing, not solely for me. I know us collectively as a middle school felt so proud that we've been able to honor their story. Collectively, we'd gone through this. I, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but this, this, this moment just seemed to validate all the work, all the commitment and... and it was a great moment and it had been a moment where I didn't bother to ask the system because I was afraid of what the answer was going to be. Mm-hmm. I was afraid I was going to be told this isn't the place or right. maybe we should do this somewhere else. Can we do this here? Uh, do we really want this happening at graduation? And I just said, bleep it. Yeah. We're doing it. And we did it. And I don't even say want to I say we could, collectively, as a school. We did it collectively as, as our teachers and our, and, and all our support staff and everyone around, but most importantly, he did it yeah and and i would uh, i always i feel really proud of myself for that because it made me more aware because before that student had sort of taken me on their journey i wouldn't have been a good enough advocate i learned more than he learned in that moment right 100% and i, I i'll put that as, as sort of a, a great moment but I don't want to erase and I don't want to come off as a savior. So I did this, or I, I've always been committed disruption because I've not, I've, I've cracked and I've bowed down and I haven't always advocated as much as I should. I can think of one. We always talk about being student centered, but you know what always ends up happening? We always become system centered. Mm-hmm. We're student centered. As long as it benefits the system, right. as long as the system isn't impeded, we're student centered. So we're not student centered. And I had a student that, um, made an application for their high school late. Yes. For a, an additional high school.
0: For optional attendance. Optional
1: attendance. And they were denied. Flat out denied. Nope, we're not taking because it it's late. Mm-hmm. And I and I wrote a couple emails back, and it didn't go where it wanted, and I just sort of, I fizzled out, and I just said, uh, um, uh, oh, I didn't have that conversation where I said, okay, but my action said, okay. And I looked back and I said, that was a moment for disruption, and I didn't do it. That student wanted optional attendance, and not to say they were going to get in. I can't make the, those all those assumptions. But the system immediately denied them solely because they were late on the application. And it was thrown back on me. Sorry, late, can't be accepted. I threw one more email out. It was thrown back to me. Sorry, late, can't be accepted. And I, I went with it. Yeah, and you know what? I'd right. love I'd love to say this was 15 years ago, but it wasn't. It's been pretty recent, and I look back and I say, and, and it'll set us up for the swag bag, because you know you can be committed to disruption, and you don't always have to feel that you're always going to be right. You're also disrupting yourself. You're disrupting your own ideas. You're disrupting your own biases. And as much as I just celebrated that one moment, within the same sort of two or three-year period, that's another moment where I don't celebrate myself. I said, I bent down to the system yeah. and made it system-centered, not student-centered, and I wasn't a disruptor.
0: Yeah, but this is this all goes back to the point that, that I made earlier. Disruption is hard, it's difficult to maintain. And so when you think about how am I being a disruptor, it's not just one dimension. There are multiple, multiple facets to this. There are multiple different ways to be disruptors. And so I think that if you're committed to doing the work, then, then you should celebrate the work that you're doing because we can't do it all. And you have to you have to know that at some point, somebody else is going to pick up uh, the disruption that you wish that you could do, but you weren't able to do in that moment, and that you're going to be supported by a colleague somewhere down the line, and that student is going to get redemption and 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 be you know a self-sufficient individual at some point in the future. Maybe it was for the better. We don't know that, but you did what you did when you could do it. And so it it is one of those things to say that, yes, maybe we do use disruption a little bit too lightly because it is a very heavy word and there is a lot of work involved with it. And there is a lot of uh, consistent work involved in it. But when you are committed to the work and you are committed to dismantling those systems of oppression that have held people back over time and, and have shut down voices and have not allowed for students to be able to amplify themselves in the ways that they deserve to Um, we are doing our part and we're doing things and more and more as we learn and we grow and we include those different perspectives from people around us. And so we have to be appreciative of that and we have to be proud of ourselves for the work that we are doing. And so I think that you've done an amazing job with your students. Um, and, and I know that you are going to continue to do so.
1: Pav, you end this episode as, as we should end a disruption episode about honoring and celebrating, and understanding that as we honor and we celebrate, there's pitfalls along the way. There are missteps along the way, and and we can criticize ourselves, but not to the detriment of continuing to do the work. And I thank you for the compliment. And certainly, I know in the time we've worked together that I've always learned a lot from you, and I learned a l- I've learned a lot more about our students' culture and heritage and their home life as much as I was immersed in it for a long time. I know. My ability to really have these rich conversations with you have even opened my eyes and given me even more of a window into my, or the, I say my community because I feel like it's my community having taught there. Uh, I thank you for that and thank you for the great work you have always done and continue to do, even in your new school, even though it's only like three minutes away. Um, uh, it's been a blessing and, and complete growth. Are we ready for a swag bag? I think so. Remember this 20-minute episode? This is going to be a long one. This is an hour.
0: (laughs) This is an hour plus. Yeah, definitely ready for a swag bag.
1: All right. Let's take this out a little bit. And I think our swag bag, of course, is not a definitive you must do list. Pav and I are just two teachers. We're just sharing. We're just commenting. We've just done a little research. Mm -hmm. tied it to our anecdotes and and connected it to our 35 combined years of experience Um, disruption for us it's a pedagogy it's not a performative word it's not a way of getting attention it's a commitment to a pedagogy and it's a pedagogy based in the idea that the communities people we serve directly and indirectly um they're going, they're, the majority is always going to hold favor. And if you want to disrupt that system, you always know you need to disrupt it because the system will always protect the system. Mm-hmm. The bureaucratic endlessness will always secure the integrity of that system first. And so we disrupt it because we know the marginalized will always remain the minority in regards to those vote, in regards to systemic systemic changes. So we disrupt. Hopefully we gave you enough little ideas of how you can disrupt. It's not always about being the big loud voice in the staff room. It's about all kinds of different access points to disruption. I think my second point is understanding that as much as you are a disruptor and anti-racist, that that work is also done internally also. You gotta disrupt yourself. You gotta be an anti-racist to yourself because understand you bring those biases and we're not in a perfect place. We have not ascended to the mountaintop of be all, end all, see all. The work that we give outward is also work we must do inwardly. And then I think my final swag bag is understanding that this is real risk. This is a risk. It's not easy work. And when we drop that risk word all the time for stuff that's truly not risky, we invalidate or underappreciate that disruption comes with risk. And it's not the same risk for all of us. And for I, as a 20-year teacher in the same community... You be mindful of me telling you what risk you should take. If you've been teaching two years in that community, I'm in no position to tell that. In fact, I'm in a privileged position to even tell you, you have to know your space. You have to know your surroundings and you have to really assess that risk. Disruption comes with risk and I'm in a position now 20 years in to make certain statements and I'm aware of that. So Pav, I think those are our sort of swag bags to wrap this really great conversation on disruption.
0: That's right. So thank you, Che, for that amazing swag bag. I know that I enjoy listening to that as we wrap up the episode. And I want to thank everyone for listening to episode 74 today about disruption and risk. Are we truly disruptors? Thank you, everyone, everyone for joining us. And we hope to see you next week as well on the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav.
1: And of course, you can find us on Che and Pav where you can listen to The Drive live on Sunday nights, 8.30 to 10 for a little bit of music and teacher talk. And if you want to know about all the other great places we are connected with, you can find that information out there as well. All right, everyone, we'll see you next week in the Staff Room.